Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful that, that you thought enough to, to die, to be obedient to the will of the Father, so that we might be able to know you personally, so that we might be able to be saved to the uttermost, and so that we might be able to serve you with our lives. I pray as we look this morning into Ephesians chapter 4, that we would be blessed and that we would be challenged by what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. In Jesus' name, amen. I did tell the first service what I'll tell you now, that as a child I used to hear guest speakers come to our church often and used to have to decide whether I was going to pay attention or not pay attention to them. You know, was this speaker going to be, um, in, you know, interactive? Was he going to be somebody I would want to listen to, exciting or whatever? Would he be somebody that would just open up the, the Bible and, and just say, well, here's my text and be kind of dry? Should I maybe sit back and should I maybe poise myself for a quick nap or whatever? And so I, I just decided, you know, if the, the person started with a story, he would be probably worth listening to. And if he would be somebody that would just go right to his text, he probably was going to be a little dry. So having told you that story, open to Ephesians chapter 4. <laughs> And I'd like to look at Ephesians chapter 4 together, okay? I would love to look at this whole chapter. And as Hannah quoted it this morning, was that a blessing to you? Man, that's a blessing to me. I tell my church the same thing. I tell my youth group the same thing. Bible quizzing's for everyone, though everyone doesn't do it. But you know why it's for everyone? Because the Holy Spirit can use that word at any time, because they've memorized it. And uh, I think that's such a blessing. I think it's such a blessing. Be memorizing God's word. But Ephesians chapter 4, it was quoted in its entirety, which was how it was written, in its entirety. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That's a heavy statement that Paul makes. I beg you to listen to this. I, I, am, I am coming before you and, and urging you with everything I've got that you would walk the way you ought to walk. Walk the way a Christian should walk. And so the rest of the chapter is describing how a Christian should walk. There's two kinds of Christians this morning. There are motor skill Christians and there are spasm Christians. I will explain all of that in the next half hour. And I'll ask you at the end, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian should we be? I think we all would know the answer to that. Isn't it amazing? We all could know the right answer to the question and yet to live that way is, is somewhat Somewhat the challenge. So what kind of Christian are we? We're going to look at this morning. Paul says walk worthy of the calling. And then he, he puts together a beautiful display of what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. What it is to walk worthy of the calling of being a Christian. I, I like to say these next two verses, verses 2 and 3, would fit very well inside a vase. Each one of these words, a colorful flower that describes what humility is. A believer in Jesus Christ ought to be somebody who walks in humbleness. And so if we, if we had a vase that, that, of humbleness, and the reason I say that is because each of these words have just a little bit different slant on the word humbleness or the concept of humility. You watch. The first flower we'll put in the vase. Lowliness. With all lowliness. Wow, lowliness is not celebrated in our culture today. It's often not celebrated in my heart. I wonder about yours. <coughs> Lowliness, that aspect of humility. And gentleness, it's hard to be gentle when you're proud. But in humility, gentleness. With long-suffering, 
Oh, long-suffering and bearing with one another. Those two words, and if you combine those two concepts together, it's putting up with other people's sin. Not calling sin okay, but putting up with other people because they're sinners like you're a sinner. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. You know, it makes me think of when, when Peter said to Jesus, how, how many times should we forgive someone? You know, they sin against us and, and maybe even the same sin. And how many times should we forgive them? And his answer was, would seven times be enough? A lot of us think, oh, that, no, because Jesus said 70 times seven, which is an enormous number. But I wonder, long-suffering, even seven times. Husbands, let's say your wife does something that is really, you know, I, I would have to imagine this. You know, my wife would never, ever do anything like sin against me, ever. But, but if your wife would sin against you seven times, you had to forgive that same thing seven times. That'd be pretty tough, wouldn't it? Wives, you can probably imagine this a whole lot better. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know my wife can. So, so if I do something, you know, it, does it take seven times for you to finally start getting worn out? Or is it more like three? I thought I told you. You already apologized for this. And you're not changing. What's the deal here? Lowliness in humility. We've got gentleness in humility. We've got long-suffering and forbearing. Wow, already this morning, some great challenge about what it is to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called to be somebody that is humble in our lives. As, we're just, as we see this described, Paul begins to talk about the body. It was great to see the, the video this morning about the body and all the different aspects and all the different, um, you know, I, I met the guy with the arm today. He's huge. I hope I don't make him mad this week. But anyways, yeah. Wow, I want an arm like that. I suppose that would take lifting weights. I gave that up. They're too heavy. There, it's true. There is one body in verse 4. There is one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. What word jumps out at us in those sections? The word, one. There's, there's unity in the body of Christ. I love the description of the body of Christ. Uh, the, there's different metaphors for the, for the church in the scriptures. Peter uses the building. We're the building of God. And uh, we're living stones. And Paul uses oftentimes the body. I think Paul was enamored not just with the body from the physical standpoint, but I think he, he admired athletes. I think he admired people who used their bodies well and saw the body working in, in good ways. And he oftentimes illustrated the Christian, uh, the Christian life, but also the church with the body. Because it works so well together. And so he illustrates that we're one body because we, have all, we all have something in common. And that's something in common later described in verses 15 and 16 is that we all have the same head, Jesus Christ. We, this is what gives us our uniqueness. This is what gives us our togetherness. One Lord, this togetherness. But then we read, uh, as we heard it already quoted, so I just won't read it all for you, but, but boy, we, we read in verses 9, 10, 11, 12. 11 says, He gave some to be apostles. 
some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now here we have the, the upfront ministry type gifts. And I know this is not an exhaustive list of, of gifts that God gives. Elsewhere in the scriptures we have other spiritual gifts like encouragement, helps, and things that are more behind the scenes. We know that there's different giftedness that each one of us possess and we're very diverse and we're very different. I used to have people tell me that, you know, we're, we're only unified when we all agree. We're only unified when we all do the same thing. And I scratched my head and said, you know what, I don't know if that's called unity. There's another word for that, but it's not unity. But unanimity, being the same all the time, in every way and about everything, isn't unity. But I, but I would challenge this brother in Christ and say, you know, I think that unity comes from our, our common bond in Christ. But, but unity is often, and I think almost always, tested in diversity. You show me a church who is full of a bunch of people who have different opinions, different gifts, different uses of, of their life, and, and different applications of, uh, of what it means to, to serve. And, and, and show me a church that loves one another, though they're different, and there's unity there. But show me a church where everyone's the same, everyone does the same thing, everyone says the same thing, everyone talks the same way, everyone does the same thing, and I'll show you some people who are repressed. That's not unity. So Paul paints a beautiful picture. Walk worthy of the calling that you're called. To be humble, to be, to be not focused on yourself, but to be focused on others. But to remember that we're all together in this because of Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our, that's our common bond. Yet we're very different. And we're very diverse in our giftedness, in our usefulness, in our ages, in all different kinds of things. There are ways in which we're diverse. And so he calls us to be the body. The body is very diverse. Well, you know, when one part of your body doesn't work really well, your body kind of shuts down. Like two months ago, uh, I took my wife, Sheila. I didn't introduce you all, so I won't do that now, because I'm getting the... Yeah, anyways. Um, that would not be good for me, for my body, later. <laughs> my wife, Sheila, she couldn't see very well. Her eye, her eye was hurting. She called me at work and said, Travis, I can't... You know, my eye's hurt and it's been hurting... For a day or two, I had known this, and you know, I was just like, you know, hey, put eye drops in your eyes. Thanks, love you, bye. Um, so I was very helpful, very helpful husband. Finally, it got to the point where she couldn't see at all. She had these bumps on her eyes. Should I describe it? Go into detail? No, okay, I won't do that. Um, it was really kind of weird. It was something that was different, lesions on her eyes, and she couldn't open, move, or anything her eye. And pretty soon, she was just shut down. And she got these really funny sunglasses to wear from the eye doctor. It was awesome. I got a picture on my phone if anybody wants to see it. <laughs> and she just kind of shut down. You know, when even one part of your body, it, it seems like, you know, you don't need your eyes to, to do certain things. But boy, when you don't have it, wow, that kind of messes everything up. I think Paul was grasping onto this concept. We can all be very different and diverse. We can all be useful in our own way. But when we don't work, well, the body suffers. The church suffers. He says, walk worthy of this calling. Be a part of the body, and the part of the body you are, united in Christ, be that part of the body. What does it mean to be part of the, of the body of Christ? Part of the way it is what I've been describing, that we are all different and have our role. But you know what? Sometimes we forget about. We forget about the part that, that we're getting to in the scriptures here, where it says, speaking the truth in love, verse 15, that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Sometimes we forget that being a part of the body means we don't call the shots, but that we submit to the head. 
We submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is from Him, in verse 16, that the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. This is what causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Wow. We've got a heavy task here, church, to be the body of Christ. To be the part of the body that we are. It's really easy for us to say, uh, send someone else. Someone else will do it. Well, if somebody else is doing your job and their job, then it's almost like they're doing double duty and, and, and things aren't going to work out quite well. And what happens if they quit? Oh my goodness, then we're in big trouble. And what if we each took our role seriously? The Word of God is full of, of, of truth. It's full of uh, tasks for us to do for Christ. It's full of principles for us to live by. And even in this fourth chapter of Ephesians, we don't have time to read it all this morning. But I want to get to verses 17 through even the end of the chapter where we see the world and the church contrasted. Don't live in the flesh. Live according to the Spirit. Sometimes we have just a hard time with that basic concept. I'm saying we because I'm first in that. What a hard thing it is to not live for ourselves, especially in our country that is always telling us, have it your way, do it your way, be your, the, you know, command your own destiny. We've got a, a certain list of things to do here in verses 25 and, and following, but I don't ever believe that Paul makes lists for the sake of these are the only things we need to do, or if you do these things, then you're, you are finally spiritual. But he illustrates his truth, and he'll do that at the end. But before we go any further, I want to illustrate to you, because I want to ask you that question, what kind of Christian are you? I said, are you a motor skill Christian or a spasm Christian? And the reason I ask that is because I'll be on this side of the platform to illustrate the motor skill Christian. Because in your body, your body has movements. You can make motor skill movements, which is doing what I'm doing right now. My brain is saying, wave your arms. Why my brain is saying that? I don't know. It's just what I thought maybe would be the best illustration of that. But my brain said, move my arms, and so I do. Motor skill Christians are people that would be just like my body obeyed, obeyed my brain. We would be simply living in obedience to the head. But spasm Christians would be over here on this side. I will illustrate. Well, I can't really illustrate because my brain told me to do that, so it wasn't a spasm. But you know what they are. Some spasms are really scary, aren't they? You know, we know people that have had seizures and things like that, that are they're, they're involuntary movements, or they're in antagonism to the brain. They're acting in opposition or in independence, and they can be scary sometimes. Sometimes they're not scary. Sometimes they're just weird. Does anybody else here, have you ever experienced that little, that little eye twitch or eye growth? And you're like, I'm hoping nobody else is seeing this, because it feels like they're like a cartoon. Like I'm... Anybody else here? Good, because I I get that, and I didn't. I want I want to be among friends. So, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, my brain is like, stop that, stop that, and my eyes saying, neener, neener, neener. And, you know, it's a spasm too. So spasms are muscle movements in our body where our body, our muscles, our our, our body parts are working either independently from the brain, 
or in, in antagonism to the brain, in direct opposition to its request. While over here in the motor skills section, in the motor skills section, what we would call um, most of our regular functioning movements, as you play sports, as you ride a bike, as you, well, that would be a sport, I guess, uh, as, you, as you talk, as you move, as you, whatever you're doing, your muscles obey what your brain is telling them to do. Normal function. Paul says, we're the body. And Christ is our head. Sometimes we forget what spasms are. And so let me tell you a story that might help you remember. I was reading a Russian journal, a nurse's journal. Now that might seem weird to you. And it is. But why I was reading a a Russian nurse's journal is beyond me. But I was. And um, I was reading about a story that they documented that... Uh, a man had come into the emergency room, and when he had come into the emergency room, he smelled of, of alcohol, um, probably because he was drinking it. And the other, the other um, obvious giveaway was he came into the emergency room with a light bulb stuck in his mouth. I would think that would be a dead giveaway that he had been drinking, but whatever. He came in, and they had tried, long story short... They had tried for hours to massage his, you know, sides of his jaw. Still, no light bulb comes out. In the journal, I believe they had said that they had even stepped on his chest and tried to pull on the light bulb. They had tried everything, and they had finally decided to prep the OR because they were about to break the light bulb, which would have been sharp. Disastrous, you know, not so fun. I've dropped a light bulb on the floor before. I saw what it did. I saw where it went. There's not that much space in your mouth. So they were planning on doing a little reconstructive surgery. I'm thinking, are you serious? Wow, don't stick a light bulb in your mouth. And I mean that, kids. Don't stick a light bulb in your mouth. Okay, pastor said. Um, The doctor came by the room just as they were about to break the light bulb. And the doctor came in and said, stop doing this. You don't understand. All you need to do is just put a shot here and here into the muscles that I can't pronounce and not going to try. Because he, was, he explained to them, as they relayed in the journal, that, that the muscles that close your mouth are more powerful than the muscles that open your mouth. And if you open your mouth to a certain degree, those muscles spasm and they close and you can't get them released. And so you have a clenched mouth. I have many teenagers in my life, in my ministry, and in my church that I feel really truly are built upside down. (laughs) Because their mouth opens a whole lot easier than it closes. But anyways, you might have some people in in your life that way. But you know what? The truth was... They gave this man a shot here and here. And and the muscles that were spasming, he was obviously trying to open his mouth. It wouldn't open. They were trying everything they could do to get his mouth open. But his muscles were acting in antagonism to the brain. didn't matter what the brain said. The muscles said, I'm going to do this. Well, they got the light bulb out. The funny part of the story really is not the story. The funny part is that half an hour later, the man who drove the cab for this man home. He was in the, e- the ER 30 minutes later because obviously hearing this man's story, he had a light bulb stuck in his mouth. <laughs> so don't put a light bulb in your mouth. You're going to the ER, alright? So I told you, don't do it. All right, now. But, but over here in the motor skill category, you know, sometimes we think, oh, that's true. I will never be like that. I, yeah, maybe I have been like that at time to time, but, but I, 
But, but I obey God. I, I, I love God. I want to live for Him. I just sang songs about that. And I, and I read my Bible. And I, I really want to live that way. Good. Paul says, walk worthy of the calling. He gives us a high list of priorities regarding humility, how we're to live. The concept of us being one body because of one Lord, yet diverse in our gifts. And he goes on to tell, don't live like the world for yourself. Be set apart. And we say, yes, I want to be, I am, I am, I'm a motor skill Christian. Let me describe this way, this to you. When I was 16 years old, I got the privilege of taking our family's boat now, my family was a water skiing family. We had a boat. We loved doing that. And, and all, all, we had so much fun. I also loved going to camp. Just like we're having camp this week. A little different. It was a family camp. And I was going to wash dishes. I liked washing dishes because it got me close to the water. And I could water ski. I didn't really care about dishes. I cared about being on the lake. I cared about being in the water. This was the year. My dad was going to let us take the family boat. So, myself and my cousin Eric. We were going to camp. We were going to wash dishes, and we were going to ski. We were going to wash dishes, and we were going to tube. We were going to wash dishes, then we were going to sleep. Then we were going to wash dishes, and then we were going to come out and fish. We had huge plans for the boat. It was awesome. My dad said, but one thing you can't do. I don't want you to go to the other part of the lake where there's an island. If you go by the island, there's a rock bar somewhere. I don't know where it is. Just don't go by that. I said, absolutely, Dad. No worry. Took the boat. We got up there. First day out on the lake, where did we go? We went by the island. Because I had to see where the island was. We were driving by the island, and the boat stopped. The engine was still running, though. And I thought, there's something wrong here. So I jumped out of the boat. That was smart. And I jumped into, like, below-knee height water, and I thought, I found that rock bar. Dad, I know where it is. That's not what I thought. That's not at all what I thought. I thought, oh, I'm you see, propellers have things like, they're, they're, they're long, they stick out. We didn't have those anymore. <laughs> it took us 10 minutes to drive to the island. It took us an hour and 45 minutes to drive back. We had little things sticking out, little bumps. And the, the engine was going so, unbelievable. I could have swam back faster. We were late. Eric and I both had to clean bathrooms that night because we were late. It was awful. But you know what was more awful? Picking up a telephone and saying, So, Dad, how you doing? And I said, Dad, I went by the island and I, and I told him the whole thing. And you know what? Someone on the other end of the phone said to me, Don't worry, son. It's only a thing. I'll send up another propeller with so-and-so from church tomorrow. They're coming up to family camp. And I said, who is this? Is this the Hughes Bees? This ain't my dad. Where are you? Who, what? I did. I, I said, Dad, I can't believe that. I'm really sorry. Thank you so much. I mean, seriously. Van, you know my dad? Who was that? I don't know. Wow. Grace. I spent the next day putting the propeller on the second day after that. So the, now the third day of camp, we went out. Eric and I, we pushed the boat out into the middle of the bay. And so here we are in the middle of the bay and in the boat. And we're just having a good time. We're just so excited. We got the tubes. We got the skis. We got everything ready to go. We are going to have fun. It's Wednesday already. We've got to do this. So there's three buttons 
next to the ignition. And they're called power trim buttons. You push two buttons and it comes up. You push the other two buttons, or the middle button and the bottom one, and it goes. So I was thinking, I'm going to hear one of those two sounds because I'm kind of new to the boat thing. But I thought I'd push the two bottom ones because that would put the motor down, which is what I wanted. So I was listening to hear. What I heard was this. That's the noise that you hear when you go today and you turn on the gas and you you open up the, the, the lever for your gas grill and you push the red button and it goes... That's what I heard. I was hearing, I was looking to hear, and I turned, and my engine was on fire. There was flames coming up all around the engine, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I, I didn't know what to do. It wasn't anything that I did. It was an accident. Really, honest. It wasn't like the island thing. It just happened. Yes, parents, there are some things that just happened. I know not many, but this just happened. And I thought, what am I going to do? I was hearing sounds I didn't want to hear. Like, my life was spinning out of cast. So I ran back here and I thought, fire? There's water everywhere. This is great. What I didn't know is this was the wrong kind of fire to put water on. Well, I took a bunch of water and I went like this. And what happened is, like, like the water caught on fire. What in the world? My whole body was surrounded by fire. I surrendered my eyebrows to this thing. And I was like... I smelled like I was being cooked. It was horrible. And I thought for a second, I'm still here. Good. And, and, I, and I heard another noise at that point in time that just really sent, just really whew, sent chills down my spine. It was not the normal kind of chills. It was the sound that I usually like to hear when I'm fishing and I've got a, a big musky or a northern or some big bass on the line, and they come up out of the water, and swoosh, back into the water. It wasn't a fish, it was my cousin. He jumped out of the boat. Yellow belly. Yeah, he's supposedly my best friend in the world at this time. Well, ten minutes before that, he jumps out of the boat, he's swimming ashore. My thought was, uh-uh. No, I called Dad. I ruined, I ruined the propeller. Oh yeah, Dad, I burnt your boat. Oh yeah, this is going to be really great. I made a conscious decision. My brain said, you're putting a fire out. So I dipped my hands in the water and I picked where the bottom of the fire was and I started rubbing oil so that I could get rid of flame. Smart idea. I've never been the sharpest knife in the door nor have I been ex- er, accused of that. But that was what I was doing. Then I started to hear another noise. And this noise, as I'm working here, I'm working hard here. There are people kind of gathering around, you know, women and children. And if this was a movie, the theme music would start to play. You know? Dun, 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 you know? And, and I'm doing this thing, and I'm rubbing. I'm losing fingerprints. I could have robbed any bank in America after this. And I hear this in the distance. And you know how water, it was this huge bay, and water makes sound just come alive. And I hear, you idiot, get out of the boat. Once again, Eric. He had made it to shore. And he is now letting the whole world know that I'm an idiot. That I'm staying, sitting in a burning boat, which I was. And that I ought to get out of the boat. I'd had it. I'd had it with Eric. 
I'd had it with this whole situation, but I wanted the truth to be known. I stood up in the boat and I said, If the boat goes, I'm going with it! And I proceeded to sit down and I rubbed the fire out. It took me a little while. I got the fire to stop. But you know what? My thought truly was, I am not calling my father because that man that answered the phone at my father's house, whoever he was, he doesn't live there anymore. Yeah, Dad, I burnt your boat. It's at the bottom of the lake. I know it's just a thing, but I'm okay. I didn't think that was going to fly very far. I thought I'd save my dad the trouble of having to go to jail for killing his one and only son. So I figured I'd just, I'd just stay here and do my best, and Dad would be able to love my memory. And as I was, my ashes were sprinkled around that, that bay, it would be okay, because... You know, they could maybe rename it the Bay of, of Travis or something. And who could always love me instead of always... Oh, I really believed it. I thought, oh, I'm not... I'm going down with this boat. You know, what if my hands would have said, no, that's stupid. Which, Eric was right. What if my muscle movements would have said, I, let's, take a, let's take a minute here just to have a little committee. And we'll talk about if we want to obey what the brain was saying at the moment. What if it would have been a spasm situation when I said, nope, we're not doing it. Put my hands in water and like... <laughs> it wouldn't have worked so good. But because things worked, and it was fast, and it was crazy, and it hurt, the fire got out. Can I ask you? There's some people who say, you know what? For all that was, that's exactly what evangelism is for me. I know that I should tell the gospel. I know that I should speak the truth of the gospel to people. But someone else can do it. Because I'm too scared. It hurts too much when people laugh or reject me. It's too much like fire for me to do what I'm supposed to do. I know that I've been called to walk worthy of the calling which I've been given. To be a Christian... Yes, to be lowly, gentle, long-suffering, and forbearing. But what about the rest of, of this whole chapter? For some people, stealing's a problem. Yeah, no, it's not big things, and it's not cars, and it's not banks. Stealing's a problem. Paul says, let him who stole steal no longer. And not just don't steal, but, but labor with your hands. In fact, labor with your hands to such a degree that you have things that you're able to give to people. Simple is stealing is not stealing and, 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 and having things to give people the only thing Paul was teaching? No, it's an illustrative principle for truth. What kind of Christian are you? We have motor skill Christians who are Christians who, no matter how hot it gets, no matter how hard it is, they say yes to their head and they obey. Or we have spasm Christians who we all want to dismiss ourselves. We're not that kind of person. But can I just ask you honestly, are your actions and are your thoughts and, and, and how you live your life, is that, would it be better characterized by somebody who's acting independently without thought of or in, antagonistically, in, or in antagonism towards the brain, towards the head? I've got to put myself over here sometimes. I gotta really be honest and say, man, this week has been a spasm Christian week. I gotta stop this. 
I've got to pursue what it means to be a motor skill Christian. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put away lying. Each one of you speak truth with your neighbor. For we are members of one another. The simple telling the truth. Do we do it? Or is the truth what we make it? Because sometimes it's hard to tell the truth. Kids, is it hard to tell the truth all the time when you know you're probably going to get in trouble if you've done something wrong? Guess what? The truth is what God wants you to say. Even if it's harder to tell than if you were in a burning boat, tell the truth and be a motor skill Christian. Teens, is it hard to tell the truth? In certain situations that seem like, well, nobody's going to get hurt if I just do this, and I'll probably look a lot better, and uh, it'll be a lot easier. Yeah, but being a spasm Christian never has a good outcome. Moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, is it easier to tell the truth? Sometimes it's harder to tell the truth, isn't it? When you're asked the question, that maybe hurts to give the right answer, the correct answer. Maybe about your past, as you teach your kids. Maybe about what's going on in our world. Well, it would be easier to just shield them from the truth if I just... Well, the Bible is very clear here. Verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Wow! Let all bitterness, verse 31, and anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I think Paul stopped there because, not because the list was done of what we shouldn't do and what we should do. I don't think Paul was a should do, shouldn't do list. If you follow this list, you're spiritual. I believe Paul was the was, it, was very honest and he just, this is, is enough. Wow, we've got the point here. We've got different areas of life, things that are easier to, uh, to understand, things that are harder to understand, things that are easy to implement and things that are very difficult to implement in our life. And he's got a different flavor from each of those illustrative principles of what it means to be a motor skilled Christian, somebody who will obey the head. He says, why don't we just chew on those? I'd encourage you and challenge you to just take one or two of those the second half of the chapter of Ephesians 4 through the first half of the chapter of, of, of Ephesians chapter 5. There are so many different things that we could just, if we really sit honestly before the Lord, don't read the whole chapter. Read a little section and work on that in your life. Take another section work on that in your life to develop what it is to be a motor skill Christian and to stay away from being a spasm Christian. The reason we talk about this is because it's honest. It's true. What kind of Christian are you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I'm thankful for your grace because without your grace, us spasm Christians would be hopeless. Lord, this morning's message, the intent is not to shame. The intent is just to simply highlight the truth that Paul was highlighting. 
And I pray that that, that, that that has been done. I pray you'd hide my words if they are confusing or interruptive to your words, Lord. I pray that your word in, in this chapter, this great chapter of Ephesians, would burn in our hearts this week. Maybe through remembrance of hearing it quoted. Maybe through remembrance of what we've read. Or maybe, frankly, through the remembrance of reading it again. I would ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign to convict, to lead, and to guide in our lives using this word, your word, so that we might become and so that we might be able to say of ourselves that we want to be, we see progress, or that we are motor skill Christians. Lord, we are the body. Yes, we are united in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We have diversity because of what you've given us, and we're thankful for that, Lord. But Lord, may we be obedient in Jesus' name.